Thank you for joining us at Praise Chapel Paramount. We hope you enjoyed this message from our Sunday sermon series, Where Are They Now? We've taken liberty in this series for a continuation of stories never finished in the Bible. There are those who made a difference or impact, but we never hear from them again. Some made the best of opportunities, but never really knew what kind of impact they made, while others missed opportunities entirely and their stories stopped short. Where do we think they ended up? How did their story end? If we could interview them today, what would they say? Also, we'd love to hear what God has done in your life. To share your story, email us at info at pcparamount.org. Again, we hope you enjoy this message. Happy to be here at Praise Chapel Paramount. And to those of you visiting, we say welcome and we love you. And we hope you join us again soon. Pastor Omar is ministering in Northern California at what is called the Captivate Christian Worship Center. It's actually a church that has come and joined our fellowship. And as you know, we have many different churches that this church has sent out and is a covering for. And so Pastor Omar is out ministering there in Northern California. And so I'm coming off of the bench today and going into the, uh, the game here, as they say. Uh, but I want to talk to you today about something uh, that's going to be challenging to you. Well, we're in our series entitled, Where Are They Now? And the concept is very simple. We're looking at various biblical characters. And when we look at these various biblical characters, we're asking the question, what happened to them after the biblical narrative in which they were found ended? So when the scripture stops recording, what happens to their life? Some of this is speculation, of course, but all of it is based biblically um, on the Word of God. It's in principle based on the truth that we know from God's Word. So today, I want to examine a certain figure in the Bible that has been often examined. But the question, where, where was she or what happened to her after the recorded Scripture had ended, really doesn't get asked a lot. I've never even heard it really asked about her in particular. So this is a very popular portion of Scripture, but I hope today that we can look at this Scripture with some fresh eyes and hopefully today glean some truth that we can apply to our everyday lives. Are you ready? So go to Luke chapter number 21. Now I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 in just a moment. I'm going to bring that up, but go to Luke chapter 21 and then hold your place. How many are there? If you're there, say Amen. Okay, now as Steve continues to play, I'm going to minister the word to you. Luke chapter 21, beginning at verse number 1. And he, speaking of Jesus, looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than you all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. In other words, every single thing that this woman had, she placed into that offering. Now, Jesus was observing her. This tells me that when Jesus comes to dwell among us, he watches our giving. He watches our sacrifice. He watches what we invest into the kingdom. The scripture declares where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. A good test of your heart is looking at your finances. Now, I'm not preaching a message on finances today, but finances are one of the greatest indicators of where you stand in your walk with God. 
You see, because it's very easy to offer a song. It's very easy to offer a prayer. It's very easy to offer your attendance. But it is quite a challenge to offer out of your pocket the finances that God has placed in your heart. Now, some people say, well, brother, preachers shouldn't talk about money. That's just because the spirit of mammon is on you. And that, that, that weight, that religious spirit, that poverty mindset keeps you from realizing the truth of the word of God. So though this isn't a sermon about money, it's important to know that the reason you have such an issue, and I'm not speaking to all of you, but just in a crowd this size, it can be assumed that there are those who don't like it when preachers talk about money. But the reason you don't like when preachers talk about money is because they're touching on that greed. They're touching on that issue. They're they're touching on that distrust that is formed in our hearts. But here we see a woman, a woman who was a widow, so we know that she was alone. We know that she was heartbroken. She know, we know that she had suffered loss. We know that she was poor because all she had was two mites. And in today's economy, that would be about an eighth of a penny each mite. So this woman was so poor that all she had was two mites. And she gave what she had. Now, this is a wonderful story. But since we're in our series, we have to ask the question, where is she now? Or... What happened to her after she gave these two mites? The question is, did she eat? Did she go back home and was she able to pay all her bills? Is it possible that on her journey home that different thoughts flooded her mind? Perhaps as she walked away from that offering, having given from her heart, She wondered how God might provide for her. She may have wondered how she might eat. She may have wondered what she would wear. She may have wondered about her housing. But regardless of what she thought, regardless of what her emotions told her, regardless of any doubt that might have come against her, we know where her heart was because of her action of giving. She poured out everything that she had. Now, again, this is somewhat speculative, but looking at the Scripture, you can safely... Make a conclusion about what happened to her afterwards. What happened to this woman? I promise you this. She was taken care of. What happened to this woman? I promise you she had enough to eat. I promise you she had clothes to wear. I promise you she had a place to live. How do I know this? Look at Mark chapter 10, verses 29 and 30. Mark chapter 10, verses 29 and 30 say, Yes, Jesus replied. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers, or sister, or mother, or father, or children, or property, for my sake and for the good news, will receive now, say now, will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. That's what I call the persecution clause. So yes, you'll get blessed. Yes, you receive it back. And it doesn't say just in heaven. What does the scripture say? Jesus says you're going to reap that all back now in this life with persecution. There's no persecution in heaven. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. So here's the promise to those who give to the gospel out of their need, who give to the gospel sacrificially. The promise that Jesus makes to them is that he will provide for them. It will return unto them in this life and in the world to come. They will receive a reward. So I know for a fact that this woman was taken care of. I know for a fact that this woman did not suffer because of what she had given. In fact, 
I can guarantee you, based upon the promises that Jesus made, that this woman walked with enough. So what am I talking about today? I want to talk to you this morning about the death of self. The giving of your life to the gospel. Now, in the Americanized version of the gospel... Promises are made. If you come to Jesus, he'll fix your marriage. If you come to Jesus, he'll heal your body. If you come to Jesus, he'll repair all your finances. If you come to Jesus, he'll restore your family. If you come to Jesus, he'll set all those who you know that are bound free. But that is not necessarily the promise of the gospel. Those things happen, yes. I can think of the time in Scripture when Jesus was approached by villagers They asked him to heal their sick, and he told them, no, I have to move on to the next town. He says, I came here that I would preach the good news. I did that, and now it's time for me to move on to the next town. He didn't heal those people who approached him. What am I saying? Jesus is cruel? No, I'm saying that his primary focus is not that you would have abundance in things. It's not that you would have your comforts. It's not that you would have your way and your preferences. God's primary fixation, God's primary goal and the purpose of the gospel message was not so that God could fix the exterior things in your life. It was simply so that God could touch and heal your heart. So God could set you free from sin. So God could put his spirit in you. The gospel is simple. And I give my life to Jesus. He forgives me of my sins. And you know what your reward is? It's himself. God is your reward. So looking at this woman, I mean, you think of the portion of Scripture, I won't read it all, but in Matthew chapter 19, or chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, we see that Jesus challenges us to store up for ourselves treasure in heaven. So where was she then? She was where she was, but she was taken care of. Where is she now? I guarantee you she stands before God today, and not a single worry is on her mind. Think about that. This woman who at the time had to sacrifice everything she had, this woman who at the time, only having two mites, is now standing before the Lord, rejoicing with not a single care in her world. Do you think she regrets what she gave for the gospel? Do you think she looks back and says, man, I wish I would have kept those two mites? Do you think she looks back at that moment and regrets a single thing? No, I'm telling you, she did not regret a single thing. Why? Because whatever you give up for the gospel, God returns to you in this life and the next. So what can we learn from her? It's the death of self, church. The gospel is not about self-help. The gospel is not about self-improvement. The gospel is about self-abandonment. God did not come to make your life better. He came to earth to disrupt you. God came to shake things up. God came to pull you away from sin that you might find life in Him, not in things. So this woman gives this up. And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, we see Jesus giving us these challenging words. Then Jesus said to His disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. That's a powerful statement. Take up your cross and follow me. What is a cross, church? Cross was a place of sacrifice. Leave that verse up. Don't take it down. Cross was a a place of sacrifice. It was a place where, where, where people were put on there to die. Guys, not just die, tortured. 
Jesus says to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, how many want to follow Jesus? Here's what you have to do. You must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. My question to you this morning is, what are you taking up? What is the cross that you bear for the gospel? This means that you won't be you anymore. This means that the self that you knew, the self that you identified, has to be crucified. Put on that cross with all of the old ways, with all of the old thinking, with all of those old habits that you carried. This means getting upon the cross and saying, God, remove me from the equation and live your life through me. This is a challenge because this is something that we struggle with. Why? Because often when we put the flesh on the cross, it wants to be resurrected. And we have to fight that resurrection every single day. When you and I committed to following Jesus, like this woman, we said, take it all. Take everything that I have. All that I have to offer is yours. This means that you give your life and obedience to God. Listen to me, church. This is the Bible truth. It doesn't matter how you were taught It doesn't matter how you were raised. It doesn't matter where you grew up. If you're a follower of Christ, the goal is to become like Jesus and to obey his every word. Every single word. Luke chapter 9 verse 62. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom. Now hold these verses up. Don't take them down right away. I, like, I want to leave these marinating here. Anyone who puts a hand to the plow, what does that mean? Anyone who starts the work and then looks back and thinks about, oh, I want to go back to my old way of living. Oh, I want to go back to that old sinful life. Like, like the children of Israel wanting to go back to Egypt. Oh man, back then we ate better over there. Oh, you see, you're not remembering. See, correct, correctly. See, we have, we have these, these imperfect memories, don't we? When we get into a place where we're serving God and it gets a little tough and there's a little bit of a challenge and there's a little bit of things that come against us, oh, they immediately went, oh man, but back then I didn't have to worry. Yeah, but back then you were addicted to drugs. Back then you were full of yourself, not full of the Spirit. Back then you were impatient and rude and unloving and unkind and no joy and no peace. Don't you remember? You say, well, that's how it feels now. Well, at least even if you're in a place where you're struggling, at least you're doing it for the right reasons now. You see, anywhere, look at, here's the truth. Anywhere you go in life, no matter what you do, you're going to have responsibilities. You're going to have a code that you have to live to. You're going to have to do things that you don't want to do, no matter what path you choose. The only ones that don't have, the only ones that have absolutely no responsibilities, the only ones who don't have to do the things they don't want to do are people who just drift. They're homeless. Is that what you really want? But no, what is the Christian life? It's saying, I know there are things I have to do that I don't want to do. I know there are seasons in life that I'm going to have to go through that I don't want to go through. I know because of the sake of the gospel, there are troubles that will come my way. There are pressures that will come my way. There is persecution that will come my way. But like that widow, I don't care what it costs. I'm all in. All in. Jesus is an all or nothing kind of guy. 
He doesn't leave it open to, well, if you want to serve me as a hobby on the side, that's okay. He says, no, I want nothing to do with your service. He will reject your offering. He'll reject your service if it's half-hearted. King David said, I'll give to the Lord that which, I won't give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. In other words, if I'm not all in, God won't accept, and he will dismiss you from service to him. And you won't be in ministry, you'll just be doing charity work. Are you guys listening this morning? I'm giving you gospel. Who took the scripture down? <laughs> I'm giving you gospel truth. I want you to look at these words. This is, G- this is not me. This is Jesus. He's an all or nothing kind of guy. So my question is, when the cross comes your way, when it comes time to bear some things, when the call of God costs you, Are you trying to get off the cross? I'll tell you this right now. I don't see my Jess in here. Oh, you're way in the back there. You're in Backsliders Road, dear. That's where me and her sit. We sit in Backsliders Row. That's what they call it. But, you know, uh, it was funny. I was just talking to Pastor Isaac. We were having this conversation. You were asking me about my traveling. And you pointed out something to me back there that was amazing. You said that she should talk more about the price that she has to pay in releasing me to do what I do. You know, my wife has to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. You know, we have a baby on the way. Do you have any idea how little privacy Jess and I have? Jess, am I, you, you know it drives you crazy, doesn't it, sometimes? We can't do anything. But the truth is, that's her cross to bear. Now, we all have a cross. What is the cross? In other words, think about what Jesus said in the garden. It's so powerful. He's in the garden of Gethsemane, and, and he, he's, he's asking the Father. This is Jesus now. Think about this. This is Jesus asking. He's saying, God, if it's possible, let this pass from me. In other words, he didn't want to do it. Jesus didn't want to do it. (laughs) But he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. If you're going to be on that cross, if you're going to pick up your cross, you have to come to the place in life where you say, my life is simply not my own. And you accomplish your will. Not my will, your will. Not my desires, your desires. In other words, I'm not planning my life and then saying, Lord, bless it. You want to know how to really walk in blessing? Because sometimes it, it, there's a little illusion that takes place when people look at the blessed life of a man or woman of God. Say, wow, how blessed they are. It's not that they got God in on what they were doing. It's that they got in on what God was doing. You want God to bless your plans, he won't bless your plans. He doesn't bless people's plans. He only has his plans, and his plans are blessed. So if you want to walk in that peace, I'll tell you this right now. Some of the most tormented people I know are the ones who are fighting the call of God. I talk to them all the time. I call them and say, you know the call of God's still on your life. You know God still wants to use you. You know you're called to preach the gospel. I have people who I know who, who were preachers of the gospel, ministers 
in ministry, and they let the pressures get to them. They let, the, they let, it, they let sin take them away, or they let the allure of ambition pull them away. And, and today, they're the most tormented people. Why? Because they're fighting the will of God, and the battle is right here in the mind. The people who, who waver, the people who, who look to fight what God wants to put them on the cross for, they, 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 can't, they, can't, they can't function. And I, I talk to these guys on the phone all the time, say, you've got to come back to serving the Lord. You've got to come back and get your life right. And they'll tell me that the happiest times they remember are when they were in walking with the Lord. You, say, you see, it's better to have never tasted of the goodness of God than to have tasted the goodness of God and then go back into the world. Because then you're ruined for anything less. But this means that that those little plans I have of my life being nice and cozy and everything being arranged around the way I want it and the way I see it and the way I prefer it, that has to go. I think about my family. People think, yeah, but that's your family. You know, my family was a normal family before Jesus got involved. Now I got a brother all the way in Texas. I got... I got a little nephew who's celebrating a birthday. He's going to be four years old. What I would give to be with Liam on his birthday. But you know where he is? He's in Austin. Why? Because of the call of God. It's, it's part of what we give. I remember being, geez, I think I was seven or eight, crying because my grandparents were leaving to Russia. Whose grandparents go to Russia? And they were grandparents, and they were starting a church in Russia. It's the cost of the gospel. People say, Digger, are you going to stop traveling when Arya is born? Definitely going to slow down, but I can't stop. Now, of course, there's a balance, my goodness. My first ministry is my family. But it's never going to be exactly like you want it to be. But do you know what I found? That when you sow your life for the sake of the gospel, when you give of yourself, when you put yourself on that cross and you say, Lord, crucify me and all the desires of the world. Crucify me and all the desires that are not of you. When you do that, then you truly find your life. Well, that's what Jesus said, isn't it? He said, if you try to, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. Oh, but I want to keep it this way and that way. I need to be perfectly cut. No. He says, you have to give it up, and then you will find your life. You know, I know it's cliche, and I, I, I don't like sounding cliche. You guys know me. I try to have some original thought, at least, every, at least one original thought in different angles. But it is so true that it is better to give than to receive. People bless me all the time with things and money and opportunities and that's great, but do you know what I like doing more? Is giving. There's something very fulfilling about giving as opposed to taking. You see, a lot of people imagine that if you give of yourself and give of yourself and give of yourself, that eventually you'll be worn down. But do you realize that when you give of yourself, God pours into you so that you can keep pouring into others? That my, my life is an offering poured out. The scripture says that, that we're, we're like sheep being led to the slaughter. You know what I tell the Lord at the end of every day? 
I tell him, Lord, today I want you to take my day as an offering to you. And I hope it was pleasing. Can you offer today like that? The thoughts you thought, the words you spoke, the things you did or didn't do? Is, is the day you offer to him pleasing? The flesh will fight you with negative thinking. You see, we as believers have to fight this enemy, this foreign invader, this, this flesh, this other self that I don't identify with and neither should you. It's not you. That's not you. But it is fighting you. The flesh will tell you all sorts of things. I don't belong here. This wasn't meant for me. I wasn't meant for this. I can't do this. It's too much for me. Well, this is for someone else. And these negative thoughts, if we're not careful, we give them power. Do you know that the more you obsess about a thought, the more powerful it becomes? I had this lady contacting our ministry. I kid you not. This is, how, this is, a, this is a really extreme illustration, but this is how it works. She was contacting our ministry, and she, she got this simple little thought. It started as just this innocent little thought. She said, I feel like God wants me to fast my sleep. I thought, that's odd because the only thing God's ever asked us to fast was food. I think it was our friend, Pastor William, who said, you know, biblically speaking, there's no fast where you eat anything. So I don't know about these fasting and the juicing. You're still getting sustenance. Guys, a fast is water. Just water only. You don't fast the internet. You don't fast television. You should be putting that aside anyway. You fast food. But this woman said to me, she said, she said, I, I feel like God doesn't want me to sleep. And she got like this, this, it was just in her head, a little thought, nothing crazy. But years later, I kid you not, years later, she, still, she was still contacting us because she had so deprived herself of sleep that it drove her literally insane. She had to go to therapy and things like that. Why? Because she fixated on this one thought that came from the flesh and she gave it power by continuing to think on it. Sometimes we do that with our excuses. Sometimes we do that with our negative thinking. We tell ourselves, I can't do this. God hasn't anointed me for this. It's not in me. This isn't for me. Yes, if you are a disciple of Jesus, it's for you. If you are a disciple of Jesus, God will give you the grace to do it. But she had so focused on that thought that she became obsessed with it. And eventually she told me that it was God telling her she couldn't sleep anymore. And every time she went to sleep, she'd have nightmares of hell and wake up and say, I had that nightmare because God doesn't want me to sleep. The human mind, the flesh is unreliable. She couldn't even sleep. And she thought, oh, because I had a nightmare of hell. Now that, that's confirmation. God doesn't want me to sleep. What's the guard against these things? It's the Word of God. It's obedience to His Word and what He said in His Word. We need to stop thinking in the flesh and telling ourselves it's God. If you repeat something to yourself long enough, even if it's negative, you can come to mistake it as the voice of God. People often confuse their emotions and their preferences for God's voice. You know why I can preach this right now? Because this is an area God's been dealing with me in. You guys don't know me. If you guys don't know me, then you don't know that I can be very ambitious. But I think half of you would laugh at that because you know me. I can be very ambitious. And if I'm not careful, I can think it's the voice of God to take every ministry opportunity that comes my way. 
I'm really going to throw you guys for a loop now. For me, the death of self is different than the death of self for you. For you, the death of self would be to go. For me, the death of self would be to stay. But either way, God will always challenge you in the area that you need the most challenging in. God will never challenge you on something where you go, okay, yeah, that's easy. Because that area doesn't need work. I could very easily get religious and say, well, there's a world dying out there and I got to take every... Well, then what about my family? What about my health? Other people, the opposite of it. They can spiritualize it. My point here is simple. The Word of God is the foundation. The Word of God is the guide. If it's not in the Word, don't do it. If it's in the Word, do it. And commit to it even if it challenges the deepest part of your humanity. Well, I don't feel like this is for me. Is it in the Word? Then do it. Well, I don't really feel comfortable with, is it in the Word? Then do it. There are many things that we can talk about. I mean, I can go all day with this now that I'm in 11 a.m. and I got more than 20 minutes. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning, church? Are you receiving this? Because this is so important we get this. We, we have all these little mindsets and all these little things that, that contradict the Word of God and we don't even realize it. Your worldview should not be shaped by your politics. Your worldview should not be shaped by your culture. Your worldview should not be shaped based on what your family told you. Your worldview needs to be shaped by the word. And total obedience to the word is the only way we live. That's what Jesus said. He said, look, don't, you're going to put your hand in the plow. That's it. You don't even look back at that. It's all in. It's everything. Like that woman who gave all she had. Everything I have goes to the gospel. Everything I have goes to Jesus. My life is not my own. This has nothing to do with me. You realize that, that you are not the main character in the story? It's, we were, we're having this conversation. Every sermon starts as one of those conversations, bro. People think they're the, they're the hero in the story. No, Jesus is the hero. You're the person who got rescued. I think about, I think about the, the, the prodigal son who was welcomed back in. We always say, oh, it's the prodigal son. I'm reading. No, you're the religious brother usually. The thieves on the cross, oh, I was the one who would believe and go to heaven. No, you were the one who'd be mocking him because we mock him when we deny our cross. Well, I, I, I'm David facing my giant. No, you're not. You're the children of Israel camped around too scared to go fight the battle for yourself, so God has to go and do it for you. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about his will. It's about what he wants. When we said, we see, you see, we, we like Jesus as Savior because that benefits me, but we don't like him as Lord. But if you accept Jesus, you accept him fully. Everything that he is. The flesh will fight you. We must commit to living lives as believers. What does the Bible say? It tells us. Flee temptation. Show mercy and kindness. Love God. Forgive people. Surrender your will. Speak truth. Keep your word. Pray. Worship. Connect with people, spread the gospel, pick up your cross, encourage one another, give to the gospel. These are all things that his word commands us to do. 
A crossless gospel is a Christless gospel. These things are difficult to do, but ultimately lead to life more abundantly. Think of the widow. Jesus did it by, by, by watching what she gave, and she did it because he was watching. She did it for him. She re- received her praise from him, not from man. If anyone had a reason to not obey, it was her. She was poor. We say, surely God understands my situation. And, and here's the thing. Some of you, if you were there, you would have convinced the widow not to give. That poor widow, if she was married to some of you, would have been convinced to not give her all to Jesus. Some of you spouses need to repent for keeping your spouse off their cross. Oh, this is great preaching. This is good. I'm going to pat myself on the back here. You guys are too quiet. Some of you, your, your spouse is trying to keep you off your cross. Some of you, a friend is trying to keep you off the cross. Some of you, some of your old friends from, the, from, from back in the day, well, why do you do it like that? Or why do you have to go all out for it? It's Jesus that's calling me. They'll never understand. The carnal mind can't receive the things of the Spirit. Some of us would have told that widow, you know, oh, no, 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 no. You're, you're, you know, God understands your needs, especially today. Many of the modern churches, oh, no, no, it's okay. God understands. And they want to be likable and liked. So, so, so they, they, you know, well, you know, we're going to give to her instead. No. Pastor Rudy talked about it, the widow of Zarephath. The prophet comes to this woman. She has nothing. And he says, hey, give me what you got. Oh, my goodness. If some of you saw me doing that to some people, which I do sometimes, you would be so upset. If I went up to, like, an orphanage or something, and I told that orphanage, you know, you want God to bless you, you got to give. Oh, people would be furious because they don't understand the Bible. It's a life of sacrifice. Some of us would have rationalized her. Jesus will understand. What did Jesus do? No, 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 you're too poor. No, 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 that's too much for you. No, what does he do? He goes, hey, this is how it's done. And then he lets her leave with nothing. The rich young ruler, he comes up to him. He, 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 he challenges this man's religious thinking. Why did Jesus say only God is good? Because he wanted to reveal to the religious ruler that the religious ruler identified himself as a good person. He says, only, only God is good. And then the guy says, yeah, me too, because I keep all the commands. Reveals his pride. And Jesus says, okay, you want to follow me? Go give it all up. That was what he had to do to be saved. Now, you think of Joseph of Arimathea. Jesus let him keep his wealth. Why? Because it wasn't his cross to bear. But he challenges you right at that point. Hear me now, because you've probably heard preaching like this a thousand times over. And, and, and God tries to speak to us, but we just don't let it in our heads. Because, because we're so used to hearing messages like this, and then we compartmentalize. No, everything I am saying right now applies to every area of your life. There's not one situation that this preaching shouldn't touch. Every truth that comes from the Word of God applies to every aspect of your life. There's not one area where you say, yeah, but in this area it's a little confusing. Or this area, it's a little different. This one's a complicated situation. No, it's not complicated. You just need to obey. It's not complicated. You just need to get back on the cross. Now, you notice that the scripture tells us that God doesn't change our heart. He gives us a new heart. Doesn't even bother with the old one. 
But this is what he's calling us to. Like this widow who gave her last two mites, everything she had. We too are called to lay it all down at the feet of Jesus. You may not have everything in this world that you want. You know, there are some people who I've prayed for who were sick, who died of their sickness. I thought by his stripes we're healed, absolutely. There's some people I know who've been doing nothing but giving financially to the gospel. And some of them, because of certain situations, are still in those situations. Well, if I sow, don't I reap? Absolutely. But as the three young men said when they went into the fire, he's able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, I still won't bow. Jesus is still Lord. Job said, naked I came into this world, and naked I go. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's not about what Jesus can do for you. He's already done everything well and above. I hear a lot of people nowadays crying out for blessings and I, another move and here and there and everyone's, my goodness, he forgave you of your sin. He dismissed your debt. He gave you heaven as home, put peace and joy in your heart and then gave himself to you. If he never does anything else, which he will, he's a good God. He loves to do those things. But even if he didn't, he's still Lord. He's still God. He's still worthy of my worship. He's still worthy of everything I have to give. How many of you are challenged? Let me see your hand. You say, I'm feeling challenged this morning. The others are, are being challenged to admit that they're being challenged. You can't hear the words of Jesus like that and say, yeah, everything in my life is just as it should be. I'm challenged when I read these verses. God's dealing with me in this area. I'm always being dealt with by him. I'm always being chastised because he loves me a lot. His favorites were always the ones who get chastised. You know, we have these ideas about, oh God, I want that wonderful plan for my life. What, what, what do you think his wonderful plan is? A nice house, nice car, happy children, happy wife, happy life. Uh, by the way, that's a lie from the pit of hell. It's supportive wife, happy life. That's biblical. That's a whole nother message, though. Well, you know, we look at these things, and we say, I want that. That's where God is taking me. What if God has a wonderful plan for your life like he did for Stephen the martyr? Oh, God wants me to live Blessed, God wants me to live a long, prosperous life. Yes, maybe. But tell that to our brothers and sisters who were beheaded by ISIS. I told you this is going to challenge you this morning. Be not conformed to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I know I'm saying things that are challenging, but it's the word. We must come to the place where we say, Lord, what 
whatever you want to do with my life, I'll do it. I'll do it. You know how you know you're in the will of God? There's conflict. Did you know that? You know you're in the will of God when there's conflict. Because the will of God will always challenge you as a person. Always push you to be more like Jesus. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.